Welcome to So Sorry for Your Loss. This is not your average grief group. I'm Gianna DiMedio. Thanks for joining me as we normalize the conversation around grief with the stories of those who've gone through it, a whole lot of humor, and a pinch of celebrity and entertainment news. Because fun fact, they grieve too. There's more to grief than that godforsaken dove flying over a willow tree on a sympathy card. I know you've seen it and know what I mean. Let's change the way society looks at it. Visit ssfylpodcast.com for more. Hello, welcome back. Coming to you today from the beautiful Beverly Hills, 90210. Uh, I had some meetings up here for some of the fun stuff that I have going on that you will know about soon. So we spent a couple nights here. The baby is having a lovely time. There's this beautiful courtyard outside of our hotel where there's been like some other kids playing around and a fountain that she keeps playing with and splashing in the water and stuff. So it's been really nice to have the family here with me. And I'm becoming quite an expert at setting up podcast interviews from random locations. I currently have my computer balancing on like a chair and a pillow and I'm like awkwardly positioned on the couch to be near the the outlet for for everything. But uh, it's good. I love being able to travel. I love continuing to do what I do to bring this content to you guys from from any location. Also, if you're realizing that my voice may not necessarily sound like me, a little raspy, it's uh, because I just spent a lovely weekend in Las Vegas with some friends for a bachelorette party. Man, that was exciting. Go check out my Instagram at so sorry with Gianna. I uh, have a reel there with a little recap of of all the fun that we just had. I don't want to take up too much time in the intro today because the guest is so much fun. We have the best conversation about celebrities and death. And if you're here listening to So Sorry for Your Loss, you enjoy talking about both of those things. But quickly before I get into all of that, a quick reminder of two things. Number one, please consider going over to Apple Podcasts and rating and reviewing this podcast. Certainly helps me know if I'm doing a good job, lets me know what you want to hear from me. And it helps the podcast rank so that others can find it too. So go help out a fellow griever, go rank this podcast, give it five stars, you know you'll love it. Second, head over to shopgoodgrief.com for my new collaboration with the company on a SSFYL branded care package. It's comprised of a bunch of products that are pretty and pink and not your standard boring black, somber, gray, just drab. These products are perfect to send to somebody who is going through a tough time. Or you know what? Maybe you want to treat yourself. Maybe you say, hey, I'm struggling right now. I would love to have a weighted eye mask that helps me sleep and calms my eyes after I've been crying for hours. I would love to have a beautiful pink notebook to write in all of my feelings because, you know, as we always say, you have to feel it to heal it. That just launched recently. Getting great feedback on that. So head over to shopgoodgrief.com. Okay, today's guest, Michael Osborne. He is a Stanford PhD and climate scientist, as you will hear about, but also a super fun, funny guy who started a podcast with his friend Amit called Famous and Gravy. So I met Amit at the podcast conference that I went to recently. He was in an elevator with with me and a friend from the conference. And we just said, hey, what's Famous and Gravy about? Because it was on his little badge. And he was like, oh, we talk about dead celebrities. And I was like, are you kidding? That's totally up my alley. We need to talk. (laughs) So we did. They're both great, fun guys. You need to go check out their podcast again, Famous and Gravy. They analyze celebrities' lives, people that we've lost in the last one to 10 years. They have a bunch of different segments that they go through. They have a bunch of different categories that they analyze to get a full picture of this person's life. 
And then at the end, they decide whether they would want that life or not. We're going to do a quick lightning round of that at the end. I present a couple different celebrities to Michael and gives his professional analysis on whether he would want their life or not, as well as another segment. They have a game that they developed called Dead or Alive, where he's going to present a bunch of celebrities to me, and I have to guess whether they are dead or alive, which is actually trickier than you think. Um, But the game is fun. I'll link to that in the show notes as well. But just a great conversation on grief, on what to say, what not to say. Michael says he has no significant relationship to grief himself. He feels very lucky, but he's had friends that have dealt with it. So we have a friend of the griever on the show today. We get his perspective on dealing with grief with others in his life. Awesome episode for you. I hope you love it. I hope you still love me. I love you. (laughs) Always have, always will. Um, At So Sorry with Gianna. If you want to engage with me, DM me. Let me know what you want to hear on the show. And otherwise, enjoy today's episode. I'm really happy to be talking to you now. We had a pre-interview the other day that was amazing. I feel like we could talk all day long just because of A, the content is amazing and we like to talk. And I mean, like not for nothing, like we're both funny. So yeah, 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 totally. (laughs) I hope, but now the pressure's on to be funny, but yeah. Well, uh, yes. I'll let you tell me, Mike, you need to shut up so we can get on to other things. So no, no. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So do you prefer Michael or Mike? I've been going by Michael lately. I'm, you know, Mike is such a common name that I've had a tendency to acquire nicknames my whole life. So my last name is Osborne. People sometimes call, call me Ozzy. When I went to college, I had more of a Texas accent. So I got the nickname Tex. And then my dad has a whole series of long, complicated nicknames for me. So that's kind of um, fun. I think nicknames are fun. Yeah, I did too. But I've been like wrestling with, am I Mike or Michael? What do I Um, identify with these days? And I think, uh I think I'm going Michael. It's like more of a family name. And I think I've, I I prefer Michael, but I really don't give a shit. So if you call me Mike, I'm not like that, that that's natural. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think, no, I, I I like Michael. I like, I think that has a nice, a nice, like a prestige to it almost. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. No, nicknames are fun. I think, I think it's always nice. Like, so obviously my name is Gianna. If you're listening and you don't know that, hi, I'm Gianna. And it's like people either right off the bat, start calling me G or they just Mm -hmm. never do. And they always just stick to Gianna. Like, it's always like a very specific thing. Like, it's not like, oh, you form into G in like a few years. It's like people that meet me are like right away. Like, is it okay if I call you G? I feel like I should just call you G. I'm like, they just see it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like whatever you want. And then I have some friends that call me Gigi. I get G money. Like, I mean, a ton of things. So G money is pretty good. I might use G money if that's okay. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) go for it. Uh huh. I had uh, my my former boss used to call me that. So, like in meetings, he'd be like, G money, what do you got? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That really does put it on the spot when you say that. Uh huh. Aside from awesome podcaster, aside from funny man, aside from prestigious Michael, you, my friend, are also a Stanford PhD climate scientist, which would I just would not think, but revealed that information. In your fourth year at Stanford, you started an environmental show, so an environmental podcast that you also have that's still running to this day, correct? Correct. Yeah, Generation Anthropocene. It's a mouthful, but it's still going to this day. And then at Stanford, you also built out a podcast incubator. So you kind of know what you're doing in this whole podcast space. And you had a second show, Raw Data, that that lasted around three years at Stanford, you said? What was that one? 
Yeah, that one uh, I created around 2015 is when we started raw data. And that was when, so I had kind of had two lives at Stanford. I was a graduate student. And then after I finished my PhD, the university hired me for that podcast incubator. And it was along the way that I created raw data. I did three seasons at Stanford, but around the time I left California to come home to Austin, Texas, PRX approached us and said, we'd like to do a fourth season and we'll We'll help fund it. And I said, great. So that one isn't gone necessarily, but it's definitely on ice and I, I don't have plans to resurrect it. So that was the second show. Are you working in the, the climate scientist space now as well? Not really. I mean, these days I am a full-time audio producer and creative consultant. That's how I make a living. I do kind of keep one you know foot in the water with climate and environmental issues. I, I'm not an active researcher or scientist anymore. So to the extent that I'm still involved with environmental sciences, it's all around the podcast. Um, so while we have a climate scientist on the line, I'm going to ask you a very simple question. Are we doomed? Yes. Okay. Was there more or yeah. No, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, we are. And, you know, I mean, I actually, honestly, part of the reason I keep the podcast going is because I have a lot of uh, fear and a lot of uh, confusion about what it's all going to mean for me, for my yeah. kids, for society and, and so forth. And I think, you know, it's like with any podcast, it's sort of like with this one, like the best way to get clarity on that is to talk it out. Talk like it I'd out. rather talk about my fears than just have them sort of hover in the background and stay inside my mind. That's not a good place for them. As we always say on this podcast, you have to feel it to heal it. I'm not exactly sure that we can just heal climate change by talking about it, but certainly good to raise awareness for it. So yeah, I mean, I, it's one of those things I don't know too much about, but I, I just know that it's probably not good where we are. <laughs> I, I think that's a fair take home. And I think that maybe that's all you gotta know in a way. It's like, it's it's a big messy problem and we've got to do something about it and hopefully we'll get there. You know, I don't know. I, it's easy to be self-righteous about the climate problem and to like make it the most important thing in, in life and in society. And I get that. And there's a lot of people out there doing that. At the same time, we all got to live our lives and right. we all, you know, what I care more about is is people. So I don't know. I go back and forth with these questions a lot. But yeah, to answer your question, like, can I say one more thing about the doomed thing? Just because yes, it comes up, comes up a lot. I, I feel like there is some uh, space between everything is just fine and we're all fucked, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's some there's some something in between there, which is probably where we're going to land. And I guess that's really what I'm interested in is like, what what is the not necessarily end of the world scenario, but the things that I should care about that I need to keep caring about. But that's not sexy, right? So we only hear about the we're fucked part of it. Yeah, and it's a better story. What, that's right. That's the narrative that gets perpetuated. And then the people that are on the other end of the spectrum are like, no, you're completely wrong, even though they may not be wrong in some sense, but it's like the way that it's sensationalized is probably wrong. Yes. So that's I think kind of I like the push and pull. I think that's exactly right. I think it's a complicated story. Part of the reason I've gone on to develop other podcasts is because I, I find that one actually the hardest to talk about in some ways. And so I'm like looking for ways to to learn lessons from other topics that maybe I can port back into the climate discussion because it's such an intractable problem. Well, this is such a great segue because you find that difficult to talk about. So you wanted something lighter and more fun. So you went with death. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I, yes, I think that's easier than uh, I I did. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> I, hadn't it, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought of it like that way. When you say it like that, uh, you're right. I did go the harder route. No, but I love that you did. Like, this is what we need. We need people to be talking about it more. And I'm so happy that you and your co-host did. And that's why I'm so happy to have you on to talk about your newest venture, Famous in Gravy, because it does make death fun. We're looking and analyzing the deaths and the lives of celebrities and learning from it. You and I talked about like how we are in this phase, I think, of everyone has it better than we do. Everyone knows what they're doing. Everyone is more successful. Everyone's got it all figured out. But at the end of the day, and a lot of that is because of like the social media world that we're on, right? Where people curate this perfect world for themselves. Yeah. Of what they look like, what they're doing, where they're traveling, where they're going. We don't see the shit. We don't see the behind the scenes. We don't see the hard work. We don't see the 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 tough days. Although there has been a movement of people trying to share that more. But like at the end of the day, nobody knows what the hell they're doing. Yeah. And this podcast that you're doing is kind of like, okay, let's look at these celebrities who we may have all looked up to or may have thought they, you know, achieve so much in their life. And, you know, I'm sitting here on my couch thinking I achieve nothing, but let's peel it back a little bit and let's see some of the the difficulty they may have had and what else they've gone through in their life and what lessons we can learn from it. So it's, it's a really great show. You have a lot of fun segments throughout it. And just the, the conversation that you and Amit have, I mean, you can tell that you guys are friends. You, you have fun with it. You laugh, but you respectfully disagree with each other, which brings up some really great conversations. And one of your most recent episodes Episodes talking about Neil Armstrong who walked on the moon and I think Amit was like yeah no I'm not sure like I would want that life and you're like but dude you get to walk on the fucking moon the like fucking moon yeah I, <laughs> I had to like replay that moment several times because I was laughing so hard with the intensity that you said it like you could tell you were like screaming at him like how dare you say you don't want this yeah so, <laughs> so tell me about insulted. how Right. You were as if it was like your life. You're like, how dare you say that to me? Tell me a little bit about how you guys came up with this show and what it's been like for you so far. Yeah. I mean, so it, so Ahmed and I became friends uh, 10 or 12 years ago, something like that. When I was still in California in grad school, he was at Wikipedia at the time, or actually Wikimedia, which is the umbrella organization for Wikipedia. And it was around the time that social media was kind of on the rise. And Ahmed, he, he, he was, we got into a conversation one night over drinks where he was talking about how the way we are marking celebrity death in the age of social media is kind of weird. Like when somebody dies, there's this grand outpouring, you see it all over Facebook and Twitter and so forth. And then like next week it's gone. It's just Mm -hmm. this big ephemeral flash. And so he had, he noted something about like the way we were as a society grieving celebrities. So he started keeping this list of people who had died. And he started playing this game, this dead alive game, which you and I can play. I told you a little bit about I that. I can't yeah. wait. Yes. <laughs> okay. we'll be, that's um, a little fun segment we have for the end of the episode. So stay tuned. Okay. Yeah. We'll get to dead alive later. Anyway. So that kind of began a conversation between the two of us about just how like weird it is, how we are processing and looking at celebrity death in the age of social media. So Amit and I kept in touch. We were, he was dating uh, a, a gal who was good friends with my wife. They ended up breaking up, but Matt and I stayed friends. Actually, we all stayed friends. And, and he was, he, I, I mean, I don't exactly know how to describe my friendship with him other than 
he's always got a surprising take. Like every conversation we fall into, I just don't know where he's coming from. And mm -hmm. he's, he's somebody, it's a great friendship that way. And that like, I'm, I'm always just surprised what his analysis is of a situation mm -hmm. or a person or whatever. So somewhere in 2020, you know, when COVID was really at its kind of, when we were like in maximum quarantine, I reached out to him like, you know, we should try and make this dead alive game into a podcast. I don't know what that looks like, but let's, let's see if we can come up with something. And over the course of a year, we developed Famous and Gravy. And, you know, basically you, you laid it out pretty well. There's a series of categories and questions where we look at a recently deceased celebrity's life. And it all kind of leads up to this big question, would I want that life or not? So, you know, we workshopped that for a year and then released in late 2021. And it's been going pretty well so far. So far, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm sure this is your experience with podcasting too, but it's getting received really well. We're getting a lot of positive feedback. You know, friends are, and and people we don't know are saying we're really connecting with some of what you're trying to do here. This is funny, but it's also, you know, sort of meaningful. It's a little bit subversive that way. But then it's also like, for me, and I think Amit would say the same thing, like really rewarding to have these conversations. Yeah. I, I have been able to put my finger on, some things I care about that I didn't realize I cared about. So that's what I want to dive into. Like, what are some of the lessons that you've taken away from this or, or something that you've learned about life through it, which listen, we've all learned something about life in the last two years. And if you haven't, then like you're doing something fucking wrong because you were given a enough time to sit there and think about it. And B like everything completely changed. Like you had to basically revamp the way you thought about the world because we were confronted with this thing. We never thought we would ever have to deal with. And then being confronted with so much death and so much bad news and so much hard times that like if you didn't reevaluate things and there's a psychological problem and we can get into that at another time yeah, yeah, so yeah. so like for you and going through everything that we did with COVID and the pandemic and the you know political issues that we had and then also having this podcast and looking at life and death differently I mean you have to be walking through this experience with some light bulb moments? A, a, a few, yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's a, it's a work in progress. The first thing I've learned is that I want to die with about $10 million. I okay, don't think sure. I want, I don't think, sure. which is a lot, right? That's a lot more than I got right now. But I don't need more than that. That there's something in that $10 million, give or take a few million dollars zone that sounds about right. That, okay, but uh, let's talk about this. Okay. Do you want to die with the 10 million in your bank account so that it is left behind to your children and your family and friends? Yeah. Or would you rather be left behind with zero knowing that you spent that $10 million on the experiences that you could have with your family and friends? Fuck, I haven't thought about this before. Okay, mm -hmm. I think the answer is... I want to die around 10 million. And I don't actually like if it's 1 million, that's fine. It's not. Oh, about... Okay. You're so modest. You're so modest. <laughs> well, it's not that I necessarily want to have, you know, a big bank account on my deathbed. What I want is to, is to have an amount that where I don't worry about it time much yeah. anymore, but I also don't want to have so much that it fucks with my head, you know, yeah. that I do think that there is a level of wealth that, you know, is corrupting. And, and and that the questions come up and how much can you trust strangers and how much yeah. that your ability to have healthy relationships with other people, I think crosses a threshold at some point that I've ballparked around 10 million. And yeah, of course I want to, you know, be able to leave something for my wife and kids or whoever, whoever my heirs are. So yeah, mm -hmm. one of the categories we have on the show is net worth. 
and I've discovered 10 million is in my ballpark rough number. Is it the comfortable spot? Yeah. It seems like it. Seems like it. Maybe yeah, we so go have these. Maybe we say we spend five million on the experiences with the family friends and then we leave them with five million as well. That sounds comfortable. Yeah, I'm good with that. I mean, we I have with a, 10 million, I don't have to think about it too much. That's the whole right. thing. Yeah. <laughs> we have a family motto here that my my mother-in-law always used to say is you can't take it with you. Yeah. You know, right. like it's it's not going to be etched in your headstone what your net worth was and you're not going to be able to bring that shit to heaven. So you can't take it with you. Might as well spend it here. Might as well have fun. And we apply that as much as we can to experiences and not, you know, material items, because like, what the hell does that mean at the scheme of things? And again, like we saw in in the pandemic, material items meant nothing. But yeah. the experiences that you had and that you were able to look back upon and, you know, that's kind of why we're living the life that we are now and traveling and, and getting all this in while we can, because who knows? what tomorrow brings and it's like what you're going to stockpile all your money and i understand there's a responsible way to go about it because of course you don't want to spend that 10 million and then like oh shit i still have 20 years left of my life what do i do now right so it's all it's all a gamble it's all trying to just like figure out some strategy and how you can live your best life and protect your friends and family too because there's totally something to be said about not leaving your wife with anything of course 100 percent. i mean i think the you know I guess the reason I came out of the gate saying, you know, what have I learned about myself? I want about $10 million. I don't really have that conversation anywhere else. I don't really mm -hmm. talk about like, what is a comfortable amount of money? What, and that's frankly a ceiling number, right? I'm saying I don't need anything more than that. You know, I, money like grief, like climate, like sex, you know, is one of those things that it's not easy to have a, a conversation about sometimes. Yeah. Right, so that category right. has been helpful that way. I had, I'd say something else it, it, about what I've learned doing the show thus far. We don't have a great category for evaluating friendship, you know, and what are the quality of somebody's friendship? What is the quality of somebody's friendship? You can kind of deduce it here and there. And one of the things I've found, and this has definitely been true since becoming a father, like post-parenthood, is that the older I get, the harder it is to make new friends. Yeah. And that kind of sucks, right? So whenever I see somebody who is making friendships later in life, that's like a super desirable quality to me. Mm -hmm. And and I think I think I kind of sort of knew that before we started the podcast, but that lesson has been really hammered home for me that it's just something I, I want in life is to stay, you know, relational wealth connected to people. Right. Okay. So two things. One. I would like to consider myself your friend. So congratulations, you have done it. You're in the you club, have, you're in. You, yeah, oh, you made a new Fantastic. friend. Fantastic, yes, today, <laughs> today is a win. But then number two, so is that something you're saying that you're seeing, like as you're evaluating these celebrity lives, you're seeing like the friendships that they're building and and uh, like what they're able to sustain? I mean, you know, look, we only know so much about right. Celebrity lives. I, I do try and do my homework for this show. I'll read biographies. I'll watch documentaries. Mm. I'll go down Wikipedia rabbit holes and scour oh, the they're internet. So for, oh, so they're fun. Oh, they're so fun. They're so fun. And you discover all kinds of like trivial shit that's just delightful. One but of my favorite end, pastimes is like after watching a show, then yeah. like Wikipediaing the shit out of the characters or like if it's a documentary or or like a based on type of thing, like I need to know like the real thing. I'm actually, yes. I'm watching the the uh, show about the Lakers. I forget what it's called, but the one on HBO. Oh yeah, about the, the Adam the McKay dynasty. thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm having a hard time like not ruining the story for myself because I, I, I wanna know like 
everything and and about all the characters and like wait the way this happened was that really real or was that just them especially when it's like this blend of real and entertainment I, i'm totally with you on that i'm trying to think there's a recent example of that that was like a true story that i couldn't believe that i was doing the same thing like trying to guard myself against anyway i mean you know i i guess ahmet and i would both and i i know i can cop to the fact that i really can only know so much about a celebrity's life mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that and that there's going to be some information out there that's not trustworthy and that it's it's one directional right they don't know who i am and everything i'm you know learning i'm i'm projecting i'm mapping on certain things i'm making assumptions mm -hmm. i, I think, right, can't can't really do interviews for this show can't really do yeah, it's one it's one, one of the one of the things that is off the table unfortunately with gravy <laughs> but you know so so you try and piece it together where you can, right? And biographies are sometimes good for this. For whatever reason, the example that's leaping to mind is the Joan Rivers episode we did. Mm -hmm. She made a friend really late in life. And the way the friendship is described and the biography is just like fucking hilarious and really cool and really tells me something about who she is and what she's all about, that she's still open to friendship late in life and that can still find a kind of kindred spirit. So yeah, I mean, I... I I forget what the question was. <laughs> the nope. friendships later in life, like, is that something that you've yeah. seen throughout the episodes and throughout the, the the people that you've analyzed? Yeah, I mean, another example that leaps to mind, thank you for reminding me. Another example that leaps to mind is Kenny Rogers and Lionel Richie were really good friends. And mm -hmm. there's two people who I would not have thought hung out together and uh, uh, <laughs> you're like, right in so in celebrity deaths that does come out i had that most recently with taylor hawkins the mm. drummer for the foo fighters because i mentioned him a lot in an episode i did recently because he's from laguna beach and me currently living in laguna beach it's been very apparent i mean there were like memorial circles there were flags hanging from a lot of houses there were, i mean even just being like shopping in a random boutique like people were talking about him so i went kind of down that rabbit hole as well and i saw that one of the people who had posted and had a lot to say about it was john stamos oh wow i just did, wouldn't picture the two of them being friends and it just made me really sad for John Stamos because they seem to be very close with Taylor Hawkins. We all know how close it was like a brother relationship with Bob Saget. And oh, I mean, this guy has has lost a lot of close friends in a short amount amount of time and it's just very sad. But so I see what you're saying now. Yeah, you see like these weird friendships kind of come out or like people that you wouldn't have usually put together in, in terms of when the death comes out and they're 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 airing their grievances about it. Yeah, that's a hundred percent. And and I think, you know, part of it I mean, well, you know, one of the things I think about on the show, and I don't know if this is if this is related to what we're talking about or not, but the, the show did kind of begin with a theory of celebrity for me. I mean, this is a little philosophical, but the idea is that society anoints people to be famous, right? Mm -hmm. We as a culture say there is something about you that that we admire, that we desire. Maybe you're good looking, maybe you're smart, maybe you're really funny, maybe you're great at sports, maybe you're a good orator a great writer, whatever it may be. And so, you know, one of the things I think we're trying to do on the show is, it, it, I mean, another way of putting that is to say that celebrities, for better or worse, are our heroes. You know, we put them on a pedestal. And mm -hmm. so one of the thoughts that's been in my mind around all that is that, is that sort of specific to a, a given time period? Did somebody become famous in the 70s or in the 80s because of the cultural context of the 70s and 80s. And now that they're dead, can, let's look back at those, you know, quote unquote, heroic qualities and try and get at, are, are those still with us? Do we still admire them for that? 
how did they get there with those qualities? And, and, and therefore, what can we learn about their journey? And what, mm -hmm. if anything, can we bring into our own lives? And I'd put the ability to make friendships as, as one of those things. That's fair. I, and I think that this world of celebrity is so much more complicated than it's aired to be. You know, we've hear celebrities that have come out and been public about that in recent years and saying like, I'm so lonely. This is miserable. I have no real friends. So yes, being able to make friends later in life at a time when they already are celebrity and it's hard to trust people is, is admirable. And also just being able to look at how they've handled certain things in their life, knowing how difficult it can be being in this world. Like, of course, there's the, the stardom and the money and the access to things, but there's also a lot of difficulty with that world. So I think there's, there's lessons in how like we can handle it based on how they handled it with a lot more weight on their shoulders and a lot more pressure in terms of analyzing their every move. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and to be clear, like, I don't want to be famous. I think yeah. if I want to be famous, I want to be podcast famous, like voice yeah. famous, but I don't, right. I don't want my face and my likeness out there. I don't want to be recognized on the streets. Yeah, um, that's fair. I think yeah. after this episode, we both are going to be famous. I, I think we're headed that I think way. It's, yeah, yeah, it's certainly going to go like viral and be huge. G money, you and me. We're, gonna be, <laughs> <laughs> we're going there. Yeah. It, um, G money and Mike, uh, Michael, Ozzy Tex. Yeah. I'm going to have to pick a nickname if I'm going to be famous. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, I think I, I fame does not in itself look desirable for all the sort of like obvious reasons. The loss of privacy, the inability to, you know, walk into a room and and not know are people, you know, if they recognized you and therefore like, can you trust your fellow human being or do they have ulterior motives in, in approach that that on its face looks pretty terrible to me. Yeah. Especially in the world of grief, I could imagine it would be fucking terrible because yeah. I've seen it happen to others where a celebrity loses somebody in their life. They're clearly grieving. It's clearly a tough time. It, they're only human, right? That doesn't, their level of stardom does not protect them for the heinous world that they're about to enter in terms of grief. And again, as their every move is analyzed, people take it upon themselves to say what is right and what is not. So three weeks later, they're out to dinner with a friend. It's the first time they've actually pulled themselves up off of the couch and got out of the house and brushed their hair and even showered. And then they're like caught with one picture smiling and all of a sudden the media is all over them for not grieving enough or not being sad enough or so-and-so out on the town mere weeks after losing blah, blah, blah. Like in that, I can't, I like actually, like I'm like getting like a physical visceral reaction because I can't imagine having that pressure put on you in that time. Like I know the pressure I, I put on myself in mm -hmm. saying to myself, okay, it's been three weeks, it's been six months, it's been a year, like you need to get your shit together, let alone the entire world putting that on me or this fear of I'm gonna be the cover of People Magazine if I try to go out and do something for myself. So like that is a whole other layer of what you have to go through in grief as a celebrity. Yeah, I mean, I hadn't quite thought about it in that way before, but I do think that one of the consequences of fame is that it, it's, you're not necessarily in control of your own story anymore, no. right? That once you become famous, like other people are saying who you are and what you're about and how you're supposed to feel. And then you apply that specifically to, to grief, one of the most difficult emotions, you know, we can reckon with. And 
like, oh, that just sounds awful, you know, to be told how to feel and to be told how you're supposed to feel. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, 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 I agree. And I think it's one of the reasons fame, well, you know, doesn't look all that attractive to me. At the same time, you know, I do think that uh, sort of like I was saying a second ago, you know, celebrities have something to teach us about who we are, what our values are and and what what we aspire to. So, you know, I, I think like when you see somebody, because I mean, that's the thing is we write these little stories in our head of who they are and what they're all about. And we're absolutely doing that unashamedly on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But, but but at the end of the day, we don't know, you know, it's just, it's one directional. And I don't know, I think we try and have a healthy attitude around the boundaries of that. One of the rules we have on the show is that celebrities need to be dead at least a year before we before we considered doing it. And that. why is that? Why did you implement that rule? I, I mean, it's a little bit, you know, after the fact, but it just feels like too soon to do okay. somebody. You know, I, I think part of it, so our rule is this, they have to have been dead at least a year, but no more than 10 years. And the reason for that window is that after a year, I feel like it's okay to talk about it, talk about them and their lives with candor and honesty and, you know, warts and all, right? Like we can really have a clean, a clean look at it all. After 10 years, I feel like they're kind of in the history books and they're more or less forgotten. Not mm-hmm. always. I mean, these are ballpark figures. We want them to be dead, but not too dead, but dead enough. And so <laughs> a year to 10 years feels like about the right zone for us. So, okay. Yeah. The first thing that comes to my mind when you say you have the, the 10 year limit is just how rapidly society has been moving in terms of what's acceptable, what's not the growth, realizing things. I mean, it's like, shit, you go back and look at some of these TV shows from like the sixties and seventies. And you're like, this would never fly today. This would never be okay. So it's like to go back and analyze somebody from like a past time may not necessarily be a fair edit because it's just a totally different world now. Yeah. I mean, so one example, like we have tried and thought about having, you know, an episode around Hugh Hefner. All right. Mm. Kind of a complicated figure now, right? Post Me Too movement. And, you know, would you classify him as a pornographer? That's debatable. I think some people would say yes. Some people would say no. But certainly like his championing of, you know, misogyny, some people would look at that as maybe enlightened sexuality. Some people would say this is fucking sexist and that's all there is to it. And so he's somebody who I don't think we heard that much about it when he died, but now a few years later, we have a really different narrative to write about him. That's just totally. one example. You know what I mean? Is it, That was in the last 10 years, right? Are you going to do an episode on him? We tried. It's on the cutting room floor right now. Okay. We might. We, I, I think we might. But, and you know, I mean, we, we, we try to swing for the fences here. Like yeah. I don't, I want to be ballsy about who we I would talk love to, and talk to hear about. that episode. Yeah. yeah, we might have to do it. We might have to do it. But because it, it is, I mean, he's, a, he's such a, a prolific figure, but it, it really is the thing that I've always looked at. I'm like, how is this? allowed like yeah why is he getting so many passes why is this just normal when it comes to his little bubble of a world i don't quite understand (laughs) yeah and and you know i i I would like to think ahmet and i could have a you know eyes wide open conversation about that kind of stuff if anyone could do it it would be you oh maybe you guys (laughs) i mean i you know i i will say this like we have uh long recognized male bias on the show. And I've had to think about this quite a bit because the the more I think about it, like society 
selects for men to be more famous than women historically. And that's yep. not, a, I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just saying it's the truth. If you look at, if you look at Hollywood actors, you know, men tend to have longer careers than women. If you look at politicians, there tend to be more male politicians than uh, female politicians. If you look at sports, I mean, it's almost exclusively male, obviously not. There's a lot of very important women athletes, but overwhelmingly it's it, right. it's sort of like we saw the whole thing trend. go down with the ncaa this year and how they're treated and everything with soccer and totally yeah right so like overall fame is biased towards men in a way that uh that has made us uncomfortable on the show at times and the other thing is like we're two dudes right so we're two dudes hashing this out we have this idea at some point i really want to follow up on this of inviting a third person on and kind of have a rotating you know, i volunteer as tribute okay we will figure out <laughs> we will figure out an opportunity to do this but anyway whatever I'm, yeah I'm so to your to your point of this of, of of how you know culture loves to put mail up onto the celebrity spectrum i absolutely found that in terms of researching for this episode so another little fun segment we're going to play at the end i was looking up celebrities that have died in 2021 and mm. in the entire list there were like two to three women and it was all men yeah. And I'm like, you're going to tell me that not one, like, no, there's no more female celebrities. But basically, I think it was whoever made the list. It was like on the Today Show of saying that, like, these people that are male had a higher, like, notoriety than any of these other female that had passed away. So they're like, they clearly beat out females to be on this list. Yeah, it's fucked up. It's not right. And, and you know, I, I'd like to think we're moving in a better direction with all this. But if you look at, you know, if you're just populating the database of people who have passed away, who have name recognition on the street, you know, overall, there is this right. male bias um, for, you know, and I think it's, it's just a legacy. Hopefully we'll get beyond that as a society. Anyway. Right. I want to pivot a little bit to your personal relationship with grief. You have shared with me that you feel you're you're one of the lucky ones so far that you don't have a very of course you've experienced it. Of course there have been deaths in your life. Of course you've, you know, been close to people who have had significant deaths in your life, but you don't feel that you've had something significant enough or of a relationship to say, "Hey, this has really impacted me this way." But one that stuck with you is a friend that experienced the unthinkable and lost a child to to cancer and you had a, a specific moment with him in in a quote that he said so can you share that with us absolutely yeah i actually called him uh before this interview today just because i wanted to check in with him it's a really close friend i i made when i lived in california and his son was diagnosed with cancer when his son was two and there was 18 months of hellacious chemotherapy and then and then he died. And this was decades ago. My friend's a lot older than I am. This is one of the wisest guys I know. He said a lot of things to me. One of the things, and maybe the single most important, I remember saying, you know, I, so I'm a father too. And I remember saying to him, I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine losing a child, especially at that age. And he said, yeah, that's right. You cannot imagine losing a child at this age because it is unthinkable and you'll never be able to get there. So don't even try. Don't even mm -hmm. try. You're going to drive yourself crazy trying to imagine what it's like. And no matter what you come up with, you'll still never get there, which uh, was comforting in a way. I mean, I, it, it gave, I felt like he gave me a pass. It's like, okay, I don't have to lay awake at night imagining the unthinkable. I don't know. It was a reminder that like whatever anybody's going through grief or any other difficult emotion, like you can be adjacent to it, you can be right next to it, but 
it's it that that's as close as you get, you know, and all you can do is is hold somebody's hand. You can't actually tell them what to do with their emotions, you know. So this is this is a good story to talk about for a little bit because it's actually in the news this week. One of the powerhouses in the grief space is Rebecca Sofer. She's the co-founder of Modern Loss. She's absolutely phenomenal. She wrote a book. She has another one coming out. I actually recently spoke with her. She's going to be on uh, So Sorry for Your Loss podcast in a couple of weeks around the, the timing of her second book coming out. She wrote an article for Time Magazine this week, and she's so poignant in her words. Her whole thing, and I'll certainly link to this article in the show notes, her whole thing was, we need to stop saying I can't imagine. And this isn't a knock to you because I'm certainly guilty of this too. It is so like knee jerk reaction to say, I just can't imagine. I just can't imagine because we can't, right? Like we, we, we yeah. certainly can't imagine having gone through that. There's also, and as she points out in this article, it's not that we can't imagine, it's that we don't want to. It's yeah. that we don't even want to put ourselves there. And, and I, I totally feel that. I mean, I say it to her, I, I said it to her in the interview probably, or I had to stop myself. I, I find myself having to stop myself with these things all the time. She lost her mother. And then four years later, she lost her father. Both were sudden. I've gone through the sudden loss of a father. I literally can't imagine having that happen again to my mother for people that have lost children as your friend did. I cannot imagine. And it's true. What I'm saying is I don't want to imagine that. I literally can't let my head go there because it will be so sad. It will be so painful for me to even think about it. And that's yeah. what we're saying to these people is what you're going through is, is a pain that I don't want to be a part of, even though that's, that's not really what we're saying. It's like, that's how it's coming off. And in the article, I just want to read a quote that that she had said here, and she says, quote, talking to someone about my grief would have helped immeasurably, and I can't imagine felt like the opposite of an invitation. It felt like a warning. Don't even try to share. I won't get it. But if my grief was too hard for me and it was too hard for others, what was I supposed to do with it? End quote. That's really interesting. I mean, yeah. because I, I, I do feel like that phrase, I can't imagine, it seems like it can be taken a couple ways. It can be taken the way you're talking about it here, which is like, I can't imagine, don't ask me to try, right? Which means I'm not yeah. going to get involved. But but I wonder if it's if it's distinct from saying, but if you want me to, I'm willing to try, you know? Because mm -hmm. I think that, I, and so, I, so I don't know. I wonder if there is a hard and fast rule around how, how to interpret that phrase. So you know what I mean? You, you bring up a great point in this word rule. So as much as I love Rebecca, and, and I think it's entirely fair in everything that she's saying, I am so careful of ever saying, don't do this, don't say that. I mean, I certainly talk about things on, on my podcast when I can offer explanation, but as far as social media, where there's like a quick glimpse of something, I really hesitate to do that because I feel that when you start setting rules quote as you just said around grief you're scaring off people from doing anything yeah so we get into this phase of don't say this don't say that don't say this don't you really can't say that people don't want to say anything because they're scared that everything's just going to be wrong the article is fabulous again i really encourage anybody to read it because she at least offers a window into like why this may not be the best thing to say and if you are going to say it then you know the follow-ups of like i invite you to allow me to try or yeah. you know i want to sit with you so maybe that i can imagine or understand a little bit more what you're going through and one of the biggest things is storytelling 
say, you know, I, I, I don't, I can't imagine what this is, but like, invite me to understand who your person was a little bit more, or invite me to understand what the pain is that you're feeling. Like, give me this, the story because that a is what really keeps our person alive and b what helps the person who is grieving to feel like we can connect a little bit more because it is so isolating you feel so alone you know i i said a second ago carl is my friend's name in california i said he he's he's given me he's one of the wisest guys i know and i just get a lot from our friendship and from our conversation i guess about a year ago one of my best friends growing up his son got diagnosed with leukemia and right now he seems to be doing okay with it but like fucking terrifying right he's, he's at nine years old at the time i want to say so so i knew i had to call up my friend and 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 say something but before i did i called carl i'm like i got a buddy who's got cancer you know i'm about to put in this phone call you got Smart. any suggestions for me? Smart. And Carl, Carl said that one of the most helpful things for him was when people called him would say, I want to be there for you. I don't know how. I have no mm -hmm. idea what this looks like, mm -hmm. which I think is kind of related to what we were just talking about. The the sort of I can't imagine, but I'm willing to try. And yes, you know, and like because I, I something else that kind of goes along with that for me. Again, my experience, my direct experience with grief is fairly limited. I've been very lucky in that I have not lost people super close to me in some traumatic way. I mean, there's there's people who have died, but it's, you know, I feel like thus far in life I've been one of the lucky ones. But I also think that one of the things you can, that one of the traps you can fall into when you call somebody else up and say, I want to help, I want to be there for you, is all of a sudden you've placed the burden on them to figure out how you're going to be helpful. You know, mm -hmm. like how you're going to help them. And, and, and so, they often don't know. <laughs> right. Right. It's, I mean, there's nothing I can't cure my friend's son's cancer. You know, mm -hmm. like there's there's I, I can what I can and cannot do is really limited. I, I bring all this up because because to me, it's it's I, I, I still don't know if, if somebody if somebody's dealing with something really hard and they've, they've lost somebody close to them, I think every conversation is going to begin that way. I want to be there for you. I don't know how I don't want to get in the way, but in as much as, as, as I can be with you with whatever you're going through, you know, let, let me be as nearby as, as makes sense. Yeah. And that, that, that's all it really is. We talk about all the time on the show about how really it just comes down to simplicity. I think there's so much pressure on, it has to be right. It has to be this. You have to analyze X, Y, and Z to figure out what's going to work for this person when it does just need to be, I don't know the best thing to do, but I want to be here for you. So if you think of it, or if there's a way that I can, I'm going to do that. I'm just going to sit here with you and share this with you in any way that I possibly can. Yeah. And, and I'm not afraid all. to talk about it if that's where yeah. you want to go. You know, I mean, yeah. that's because that's the thing is we're scared of other people's pain. You oh, know, yeah. ultimately, we're totally tired. Like, don't come at me with that. I don't know how to answer. Because right, it's like it's yeah. contagious. Like, yeah. and that's part of that's one of the things that she talked about in the article, too. And it's true. I mean, I have a hard time imagining what it's like for others to lose a child because there's some fear to me that it could possibly happen to me. That's right. You know, and it's, as I've learned, there is no, a friend of mine, Karuna Mehta, she has a great Instagram on grief too. It's at that thing about grief. She talks a lot about, there's no chips. There's a, you don't use up enough chips. It's not once you've hit three deaths, that's it. That's all you're going to experience in your life. Once you hit three bad things that happen, that's it. You're good. You're cruising for the rest of your life. You know, so just because I lost my dad, I lost my mother-in-law, I lost a friend. I'm not done. I mean, it could, yeah. it, could, it could strike at any time. So it's like, I'm scared to even imagine 
because I don't want to invite it into my life, which just yeah. is not, it's not true. That's not how the universe works, but that's just how we think of it. Well, and to your point about story and the importance of story, you know, I, I do think that like the human condition is one where some level of denial is always sort of operating and is yeah. always possible and, yeah. and maybe even necessary for our storytelling brain to do what it does. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's, 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 it's so, you know, but, but too many things that don't get looked at and that, that bubble of denial bubbling beneath the subconscious surface can erupt, uh, you know? Yeah. The, the last thing I want to say on that is by you doing what you're, you do, which I think is great. Like we just talked about of the, like, I don't know what to do, but I want to be here for you. You're inviting them to lean on you. I am a person that you can lean on. So in those times when you're feeling it, please call me, please know that I'm, I'm willing to, to be here for you through this. So yeah. Yeah. Yes. As much as I can. Yeah. All right. So we have two fun segments that we're going to do at the end of this. I mean, you know, fun. I mean, death. So fun. We're going to play a round of Dead or Alive, which is a super cool app that Michael and Amit are in beta with for Famous and Gravy. And I am also going to do a lightning round of a few celebrities that passed in 2021. And a la the end of the episodes, like they do on Famous and Gravy, Michael is going to tell us whether or not he would want their life. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm going to be on the spot for it. This is certainly yeah. an abridged version. And I would say to all of the listeners, you cannot hold Michael's feet to the fire when it comes to his answers, because <laughs> these are going to be off. Of, we've been talking about Wikipedia so much. This, this, this episode is not sponsored by Wikipedia, but it should be because you guys obviously go through like extensive research. As you were saying, you, you watch movies, you watch documentaries, you, you read biographies. This analysis is going to contain one opening sentence from Wikipedia. So that's all you're going to get. Okay. Wow. Which I think is, is similar to you guys also analyze the obituary, which I freaking love. I think that's hysterical. <laughs> it's so fascinating to see what gets highlighted in someone's obituary. So in the first line, yeah, the yeah. first line. Right. So yeah, yeah. kind of like that first line. And it's the similar here. Like what is, what is about their life made it to the first line of their Wikipedia page? Yeah. I didn't even realize that was a thing. I should have. I mean, I kind of heard people talk about the first line of your, their obituary, but now that I've, now I pay attention to it. Anytime anybody dies, I try and be like, Hmm, where am I in that? Do they get it right? We'll do this first. Okay. And then we'll go into the, the dead or alive. Okay. Two rounds of dead or alive. Okay. Lightning round, Michael Osborne, would he want this celebrity's life? Number one, our dear Betty White. Oh, oh yeah, I know. I don't I think like that is, Yeah, I don't think that's a, that's a, I mean, I'm curious to know about the net worth and the love and marriage and, and so forth. I want to, you know, look at it closely, but how could you, how could you not? I mean, I though, though, just the, the attitude she had, the humor alone. I mean, sense of oh. humor alone is, is enough. And I, I also think that, you know, what I said earlier about the friendship thing. Yeah. I, I, I see that, you know, without yeah. knowing enough, I definitely see that with her. So yes. Yeah. And certainly the adoration that she had from the whole community in, in entertainment was just, I don't think anybody could say a bad word about her, yeah. but her one line in Wikipedia is an American actress and comedian, a pioneer of early television with a career spanning seven decades. Whew. White was noted for her vast work in entertainment industry and being one of the first women to work both in front of and behind the camera. She was 99 years old, famously just shy of 100. It was like a few she, weeks, wasn't it? It was right, uh, right there. Yeah. 
Yeah, like we should have paraded her down the streets if she hit 100, and it's just a shame that she never got that opportunity. I think we'll we'll do her on the show at some point. There's no question oh, about it. Absolutely, like, she's an excellent candidate. Yes, yeah. yes. Okay, so we got a yes for Betty White. Number two, Prince Philip. Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh was the husband of Queen Elizabeth II. Now I have something to say about that. Yeah. As such, he was the consort of the British monarch from her accession as queen on February 6, 1952, until his death in 2021, making him the longest serving consort in history. He was 99. I think this is probably a very clear no for mm -hmm. me. I think royalty looks a little bit like indentured servitude. That I think yeah. that that the function you're supposed to perform in society and the 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 way that your whole life is written for you before you're even born looks terrible. I, I'm mm -hmm. sure the perks are amazing. I'm sure there's great conversations and good parties to be had. I'll, I'll pass. I'll, I'll say no. Yeah. So the thing I love about this one is literally the first line is he was the husband of Queen Elizabeth. Like that's what he's known for. That's it. It doesn't matter what you achieved in your life. Yeah. Your partner is always going to outshine you. He could have walked on the moon and nothing. He could have walked yeah. on the moon. Yeah, yeah, no, nothing. That would that would be maybe third paragraph. That would be like D block of your yeah. obituary. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm gonna no to that one. Yeah. Hard pass for Prince Philip. At number three, Dustin Diamond. He was an American actor and stand-up comedian, best known for his role as Samuel Screech Powers throughout Saved by the Bell franchise. <laughs> he was 44. So that was the that was the the first sentence of it. I will say, oh. if we're gonna do a little bit more analysis, he had some. I mean, obviously, being Screech on Saved by the Bell was not the most coveted character to have played. Had some scandal after his career with a, a sex tape, and also because I mean, like who didn't demand a Screech sex tape. Screech um, had a sex tape? Uh, this is the first time learning about this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have yeah. like, gone this far in life without, okay. Um, You're welcome, yeah. Yeah. No, and also was arrested for, I believe it was a, a lewd act in a, a movie theater and also Ooh. like a possession of a knife of some sort. So some some controversy around him, but you know, the star power that that cast held in the 90s was really quite something. Wow, you are totally in my wheelhouse right now. This is like this is the kind of person we love to talk about on the show. I, so I'm just going to weigh it out real quick, rapid fire. I think that that's a kind of great form of celebrity in a way. The the the, the nerd on an '80s and '90s TV show. Oh, but boy, the criminal record and mm -hmm. the the sex tape and the lewd acts does to me speak to a kind of inner hole that never gets filled. And also age 44, that just doesn't sound good. So it was tough. Yeah, he was he was diagnosed like in January of last year with stage four lung cancer and was gone within like four weeks. Holy Which cow. is awful. Yeah. Holy cow. But this is closer. Like I, I, I at least I can like I can start to piece together some of the the case for, I think there is a case for saying yes to this life. I, I think hmm. given the information I'm working with right now, I'm going to go no, but like, I don't know, 44 very exciting years. Um, yeah. Probably not, but I don't know. I don't want a boring life. You know, mm -hmm. I'm looking for whatever I'm doing, whatever else I'm doing in life. It's got to be eventful. And so to be screech and then to be involved in a sex state doesn't sound no, I, I'm going to go. <laughs> I, love, I just had I love, to talk it out. <laughs> if, oh my gosh. I wish if you could have seen Michael's face just now as he like really just, oh, the, the head nods, the that? eyes were like going. Yeah. 
You're like, yeah, mm, I, I don't know, but to be involved in a sex tape was... I just, mm. just, I'd want to think it through, but now that we've talked it out, <laughs> sure. I think it's a no. I think it's a no. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, but I loved how you... This is the type of analyzation that you do on the show, too, Famous and Gravy, is like, hmm, okay, th- those troubles that he had post-career are telling me like something was off for yeah. him to go into that, that something wasn't quite fulfilling or or whatever it was, but yes. Okay, so we have a... a no question. Mark I think no. I think I think I think I think in that last forty-five <laughs> seconds of talking it out, I landed on a much you know more resolved no. I think. I'll okay. Have. Okay. Number four, Willie Garson. He was an American actor, appeared in over seventy-five films and more than three hundred TV episodes. He was known best for playing Stanford Blatch on the HBO series Sex in the City and all the related films that came after that. He was also in the USA Network series White collar for five years, romantic comedy called Little Manhattan, and a reboot of Hawaii Five O. Oh wow! So I don't know do who you, this do person you, is. Do no, okay. I don't. I My you, wife's you're not, you, sex so in you, the city. I was gonna say you don't watch Sex in the City. Yeah, he was like Carrie's gay best friend. He was bald. He was always like very oh. fashionable. Yes. Okay. Yes. 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 Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I have enough data data here to weigh in. I think I. I mean, I kind of like the B list. You know. Yeah. level of this you know and, and i feel like those are some really interesting shows and you know if one thing i'm after in life is variety and uh variable reward and like getting involved in different new and interesting projects this sounds pretty good this i agree good. yeah i, I and, agree and my memory of of this man is that he's a sort of confident bald man and that there's yes. a like uh, a look in the eye of uh self-acceptance and self-assuredness so Based on very little information, I'm going to go yes on this one. Yeah, I think so too. I think you're right with the B-list thing. And he was a part of an incredible franchise. He was like a beloved character on it. And then to see that he appeared in 75 other films and 300 TV episodes. I mean, that's like a successful career. Amen. And as far as Amen. I know, there's no there's no sex tape. So, I mean, what, what's he, not he must to like? be- And even if there was, maybe it was good. <laughs> Who knows, you know? <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I don't want to judge. I don't want to judge. So yeah, I, that, I, I'm going to go yes on that one. All right. Yes, for Willie Garson. Next one, Larry King. Larry King. Oh, I mean, does he need I thought about this one. Yeah. Oh, okay. American television and radio host whose awards included two Peabody's, an Emmy, and 10 Cable Ace Awards. Over his career, he hosted 50,000 interviews. He was 87. So, so everything you said in that first line, very, very desirable, very, very attractive. I love, as you do, dialogue. I love conversations. I love meeting new people and learning their stories. My memory is that he has a very, very checkered marriage record. Like, I think he was married nine times or something. I think you could be right. Yes. Something like that. It's, it's, as I recall, many marriages, which Amit and I have a lot of conversations about that on the show. I mean, this is one of our categories. How many marriages, how many children, what is the nature of those relationships? So it's funny. We've encountered a lot of people on Famous and Gravy who are like revered as public figures and their ability to interact with strangers is great or, or sort of weak ties. But how, what is the quality of their, you know, intimate relationships? I have some questions here with Larry King. Pause so, real quick. I just pulled yeah. up the Wikipedia again to count. And yes, there were seven marriages. Seven marriages. Okay. Yeah. So I, I thought it was, I thought it was quite a few. I, you know, I, I want to know more. I want to know more here because I think like, I, I want to know why those marriages failed. There is a part of me that, you know, was it infidelity? Was it abuse? Was it emotional distance? Was it boredom? Trauma? Boredom? Yeah. I mean, and, 
you know, certainly there's nothing wrong with getting married a lot, but when you say I do, and it's like till death do us part and you only mm-hmm. kind of sort of mean it, I don't know, yeah. seven marriages is a little bit well, problematic for me. Yeah. There's um, something going on there. God, but I really like the life as an interviewer and as a, you know, oh, broadcaster. Yeah. And <sighs> that's a tough one. That's a tough one, G Money. I am gonna go. <laughs> I'm gonna go. My wife is probably listening to this podcast, so I'm gonna go no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair. But 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 know that there's some desirability. There's some ad- here. Yeah, additional research that would need to be done to really come to a, a concrete thesis conclusion on here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, and I, I don't remember specifically, but I feel like there was some controversy around him at some point. Or like a Me Too times. thing? Like, was there was there some like inappropriate? It, it might have been a Me Too thing, or it might have been something that went on in his interviews, or like how he handled something, or whatever. But I mean, when you host fifty thousand of them, I can't imagine that they're all going to go perfect. But yeah, I mean, some of me, those old school broadcasters, especially men, like they have oh. not great reputations behind the yeah. scenes. So I'd be right. curious to know if he was more of a sleaze bucket than we knew. I don't know, but like right. that would require some investigation. Right, right. Okay, our final one is Tanya Roberts, who off the bat, I didn't know who she was, but I do remember her death. And I wonder if you do too, because there was a little bit of controversy around that. So she was an American actress, producer, and model. She is best known for playing Julie Rogers in the final season of the television series, Charlie's Angels. She was Stacey Sutton in the James Bond film, A a View to a a Kill. Yeah. And Sheena in the Beastmaster. And she also had a stint on that 70s show. She was 65 years old. So here's what happened with her. She developed some form of sepsis. She went into the hospital and it was falsely released that she had passed away. Oh, so this is why we don't trust the media. This is why we don't trust Twitter when these things happen. I mean, isn't there like one fake death a year that happens on Twitter? It was put out that she had passed away, you know, the the memoriams pour in only for her publicist to then come back and say, wait, 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 she is still alive. (laughs) She is still with us. And then the roller coaster kept going because she did then pass only a few days later, which then everybody was like, wait, is it for real this time? So I didn't remember her, but I did remember this happening. Oh, wow. Wow. Do I want that life? Okay. So Yeah, pretty badass characters to have played. Pretty badass characters. I mean, Bond, Charlie's Angels, Beastmaster. I'm impressed. I and I now I'm beginning to put a little bit of a face to this person. Titania Roberts, that's her name. Yeah, I don't really I don't remember off the top. of, But I bet like if I were to see a picture, you know, younger Michael would immediately remember. But I mean, she was only 65, which is fairly young. It seems that she had a lot of health complications. It seems she battled hepatitis C and that's why she had gotten like a urinary tract infection, which then spiraled into sepsis and spiraled into other things. So despite maybe being like a young sex symbol, it seems that maybe later in her years, her health wasn't quite, quite great and something she probably struggled with. Well, and that's where I have the most curiosity is the second act, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly a lot of people who become famous and who we look at on Famous and Gravy were like super duper attractive in their, you know, 20s and 30s and so forth. I really like when there's a second act. One of the one of the best ones I, that we discovered on the show was Shirley Temple, who I knew as a child actress. I had no right. idea she had this life as a diplomat that blew me away. But and there's there's other examples of of somebody who became famous for one thing and then they got to a point in their life where like the second chapter of my life has to be about something else. So that 
so I have some real questions and curiosity there about Tanya Roberts. The other thing that I would say is we do try to look at the nature of the death, not because it matters, like how, how much how much does it influence your interpretation of somebody's life? If they died suddenly, if they died uh, alone, if they died in pain, if it was drawn out over many years, if it was a degenerative disease, you know, we, we try and be honest about that because we have so much fear of how we're all going to die, yeah. right? Th that's a weird one where it's reported that you're dead and then it comes out you're not dead right? and then, and then you are dead. I don't know if that would sway me much one way or the other. I think I'm going to go, I think I'm going to, uh, I'm inclined to say yes to Tanya Roberts only because those are some really great pop culture touchstones there. You know, like those are, it's kind of, it's a similar deal where it's like, these are, these all sound like fun projects and, yeah. and would have been an exciting time, you know, to be a sex symbol. Although yeah. again, I'm very curious about what, what the second act was, if there was one, you know, how yeah. did she spend her later years? All right. That that's all we have. That was fun. That, <laughs> that was, was, that was fun. good. A lot of good we, conversation around those. We need to do that. Isn't it fun to talk about dead celebrities? Oh, um, so fun. Yeah. So do you want to play Dead Alive? I would love to. Okay. I've got our beta app up. And so I'll ask some of these people, if you need a hint, let me know because okay. we've had to go kind of obscure. Yeah. All right. Noam Chomsky. Never heard of him. Okay. I'm <laughs> going to go with alive. He is alive. He okay. is 93 years old. He's an uber liberal sort of uh, public intellectual figure. Ricky Lake. Alive. Correct. She is 53 oh. years old. She's Ooh, quite young. Okay. Stan Lee. Dead. You know who he is? Bruce Lee, like the karate type no, of thing? Stan, no, no, oh, no, 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 wait. I, I revised my answer. Spider-Man. Yes, Marvel yeah, Comics. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Stan, Stan Lee, Marvel Comics publisher. What'd you say? I said dead. Correct. He died in 2018. Okay, John Fogarty. Do you know who he is? I don't know who he is. Do you is know there the a band? This one? Yeah, Credence Clearwater Revival. Yeah. So he's the lead singer for them. I'm going to go with Dead. I'm afraid he's still with us at 76 uh, years old. I said I'm afraid. I'm glad. I'm, I'm happy. Let me amend that. I'm happy to report he's still with us. <laughs> okay, I got one more. Dudley Moore. Dudley Moore. You remember him from. Uh, the oh, name God, is it? familiar. He's a little short British actor. He's in a movie called Crazy People. Arthur, he's kind of a funny guy. Dead? Yeah, we lost him in 2002. R. Lee Ermey. You probably need a hint on this one. Did you yeah. ever see Full Metal Jacket? No. The character kind of became bigger than the movie. Is a drill sergeant who yelled at people throughout the movie and was kind of like a caricature. Okay. It doesn't matter. You don't know him. I'm, he's dead in I'm, 2018. I was going to say dead. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. I should have cut you off. Priscilla Presley. I want to say alive. She is still with us at 76 years old. She is still old. with us. I'm uh, sorry to report she is still with us. <laughs> no, I'm happy to report. <laughs> I had no idea who this person was. Chick Correa, a jazz pianist? I'm going to uh, say dead. Yeah, died in 2021. This is something, okay. buddy. Okay, Kenny G. Okay, I got one more. Pele, the soccer player. Alive? He is still with us at 81 years old. Ooh. Correct. <laughs> So that's dead Super alive. fun. So can can <laughs> listeners access that? Yeah, we're yet? working on it. No, we, I mean, we still got to work out some of the kinks with the app. But yeah, dead or, I think the URL is just deadoraliveapp.com. It's a, a public app, so, or a, what do you call it? A, a web-based game, kind of like okay. Wordle. 
It's like Wordle. Yeah. So I, I will put that in the show notes. Let me tell you, it's, it's fun to play. I mean, if you just had fun now, you'll know, but my husband and I even pulled it up at dinner last night. It's a good conversation piece. You should play it with friends. So yeah. Well, thank you, you for, thank you for applauding the effort with that alive. And again, yes. that was, I mean, it was this whole game that actually started the podcast with Omen. Yeah. How about brings, that? Yeah. It brings it full circle. Anything that you would like to say before we close out, any final thoughts on grief, anything that we should know about Famous and Gravy, anything we should know that you guys have coming up? I don't think so. I think, you know, we covered a lot of ground and it's a really, I, I guess I just want to say how impressed I am with what you're doing. Oh, I, I love you. that in the podcast space that people are, are saying there's some shit we got to talk about and let's yeah. figure out a way to do it. And I, I just think it's such an important area for experimentation and for dialogue and you know you don't have to have it all sorted out but you know let's talk and see where it goes and i feel like yeah. you're doing that and and it, i don't know it's been a lot of fun talking so thanks for inviting me on the show thank you i appreciate that so much i'm so happy to have you here and and i agree i mean i think you guys are doing the same and saying let's talk about death a little bit more and and maybe in this fun and creative way so i i applaud what you and ahmed are doing and, and definitely would recommend our listeners to to go check it out famous and gravy michael osborne thank you so much for being here thank you g money this has been fun <laughs> Thanks for listening. Head over to Instagram to follow more at So Sorry with Gianna. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave that five-star review. I would love you for it. More to come on this season of So Sorry for Your Loss. So stay tuned.